and welcome to From the Rookery End, uh, another of our weekly podcasts that we've been doing for such a long time. Of course, as you know, the rules around this place now are we're not going to sit and pick apart a Watford game when there's pretty much nothing to play for. And now, officially and mathematically, there is nothing to play for, um, apart from, well, nothing still. <laughs> the race for 12th. Yes, let's see what can happen. Put a big voiceover on it and some sound effects and it might get exciting. But of course, we're definitely not going to pick apart and talk really that much about Watford losing 1-0 away at Hull. But there's lots of other things that have been going on around Watford. You've already heard them. Uh, Michael is here. Let's not pretend we're not excited about something. And that something is the fact there's only two games (laughs) of this wretched season left. That is cause for celebration, I think. I've got a really tough question for you later on then from uh, from Twitter. Uh, and Jason is here also. Hello there. Uh, now, Mike, let's get out of the way. We are yep. slowly becoming, but we're not going to. We might have to have a spin-off, as DCW said last week. Uh, the Hemel Storm. It was the grand final. We spoke about it. Everybody's <laughs> on tender hooks, even though they've probably all got social media. And if they really wanted to know, they could have watched it on uh, YouTube. How, what happened with the Hemel Storm basketball team on Sunday in the grand final? Travelled up to Manchester on uh, on Sunday, a long, what was it, a sort of seven-hour round trip, uh, Hemelstorm, on the brink of immortality, the, uh, the brink of being crowned the Invincibles. They'd won 40 matches in a row, undefeated, 40 and over. They'd won three trophies, they'd won the league, they'd battled through to the final of the playoffs. One game to go. Could they do it? Could they go 41-0 and crown this remarkable season and I am delighted to say that yes they damn well could it was absolutely sensational what a team this is it's been and I think it's, it is worth talking about on the on this podcast because the juxtaposition between the two teams is is absolutely stark not only have of Hemel not lost not only have they won all the all the trophies but the the, the most rewarding thing of all has been the teamwork within that team has been absolutely sensational the interplay the belief they have in each other the way they've dug each other out of holes when one player hasn't particularly been playing well has been a genuine joy to behold and hold a mirror up to that what's the opposite of that and well it doesn't take a genius to to work it out does it but yeah absolute kudos to everyone involved there with the Hemelstorm. it was a wonderful wonderful day out capping off a wonderful wonderful season but the biggest shout out of all just to this is a real community effort and it's run by an army of volunteers who give up more time than I'm sure they'd be prepared to admit to make sure that, that it happens. And it's a, a wonderful thing for the for the local community. And I think it just shows what can be achieved if people, good people are prepared to do good things, to put the time in, put the effort in. Um, it, it's just made such a wonderful environment, such a wonderful uh, experience and a, and a wonderful club. Well done to the Hemelstorm. Well done to everyone involved. It's been a privilege to be able to watch them. 41 and 0, baby. But we, yeah, you talk about winning something there, Michael. Watford have won something this season. Yesterday, it was announced that Ishmael Asar's goal away at West Bromwich Albion, where he scored from his own half, is the EFL goal of the season. Now, the two things came to mind for me for that. Firstly, how long ago that was. Just... And 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 that's that you know it felt so long ago. But Jason, that for you, you know, looking at that goal and maybe that game in particular, do you really see that as a completely different team a long time ago, or did you sort of feel that what the season was going to be during that game? You could probably answer yes to all those questions, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. It certainly does feel like a long, long time ago. 
Um, it was a great goal, and I remember getting very excited by it at the time. It's one of those where you want to message your, your non-Watford following mates, those that are supporting Premier League teams or other other sides elsewhere, and just say, have you seen Ishmael Asar's goal? What's a goal? You need to watch it now. Something to be proud of. And, and there's not much that we've been proud of since that day, and that was what back in was it all late August? Yeah, yeah, that August. Goal. early August maybe. You could talk about the obvious, can't you? It was it was a couple of managers ago for us, um, and yeah, uh, and you can kind of the performance that we had that night. We were after we got the goal, we were up against it pretty much, weren't we? For for a lot of the battered. game, we got absolutely mm. battered, didn't we? Yeah. But but there's a but there though, Mike, and and we we held. We let one goal in, but we held firm. We, we didn't collapse completely. I've got absolutely no doubt that the current incarnation of that team would have fallen to pieces, lost three or four one. Um, and in fact, in the end, we, we had that opportunity to to win the game. And okay, we missed the penalty. So there's there's um, Ishmaela, <laughs> Ying and Yang in in the space of ninety minutes. Um, so the chance was there to win it. And, and but yeah, the, I can't see. That the current side, as they are in the mood they're in, would be able to put up such a performance, such a defensive performance that would stop a team playing that well from steamrolling us. I don't want to be Captain Hindsight, but it did feel like we might have more problems than we than we anticipated. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. That that goal was like wow, brilliant. On that pitch, we're all the big dogs. All the ones we were trying to, hey, maybe keep hold of two, three of them if we were really, really lucky. And when they couldn't do it, and we knew that some of them were going, and we started to get bombarded, and we couldn't like enforce ourselves onto them. That it, it, I don't think I've, I said it at the time, but now I look back, I definitely have had the same feeling throughout the whole season from this isn't quite going to work, is it? And what and what's quite interesting, I think it was Geordie made the, made the point when we were talking about this the other day, if not only would... I mean, Jason makes a good point. They did with, withstand an absolute bombardment. And on another day, you know, we had a, a guilt-edged chance to win it with the penalty. And who knows what might have happened if they'd gone on to, to win that game and could have got a bit of confidence from it and a way win and what that might have meant for Rob and so forth, uh, so on and so forth. If ifs and buts were sweets and nuts, of course. But I think what what's the, the sort of... the You could almost chart the decline by imagining what Ismail Assar would have done if he'd had that opportunity this week or last week, because you can bet your bottom dollar he wouldn't have taken that chance on, I don't think, if it was if it was the Ismail Asar of, uh, where are we, April uh, 2023. Watching the, the goal back, you can see him. All he needed was one look to to assess where the keeper was. He got himself set, set and he, he, just, he just delivered the most perfect sort of... What was it like a five iron? I guess Jace over the top of the uh, a four iron over the top of the the keeper. It was it was it was perfectly flighted. It was entirely uh, controlled. It wasn't a sort of hit and hope. If I can just get it over the top of him, it was it was perfection. He was in complete control of it, and he he just looked a man in charge of his talent, didn't he? And 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 since then, it's sort of that's that's definitely been the peak of the the season for for Watford's goals. Probably for Ismail Assar's sort of contribution and Watford's sort of hope. You know, looking back on it, it's got that sort of slightly sort of hazy summer feel to it. Everyone, you can see the away end erupting 
all in shirt sleeves. Their new, the new yellow away <laughs> kit on display there. Full, still, still full of hope and optimism there. The late summer sun, it was, a, it was the still bright in the, in the Hawthorns that evening. And it does feel absolutely eons ago. But I, I have to say, I, I think I, I remember thinking, I feel like we've got, We've got a long way to go as a as a side this season, and uh, yeah, it's just nice to look back on a on a moment of of quality, really, in a, in a season where there is has been precious little of it, quite frankly. It was also um, pre World Cup, and the transfer window was still open. Not that that may have swayed Ishmael Assar's decision to go for goal, but just just putting it out there. Yeah, some stories and stuff going around. Uh, ben Manga, uh, exclusive interview with uh, with uh, Andrew French. You can read it in several parts on the What Observer website. Um, he also did a, a chat uh, with the boys at with, uh, Jacob and and Charlie at WD18 on YouTube. And there's about an hour and a half because Andrew's got a lot to say. Well done to those lads, by the way, John. They've, I think they've just posted their a thousand video. So yeah. congratulations wow. to, to the WD18 um, lads. We know. Uh, from experience, how you know the effort it takes to get to get content out there on a on a regular basis. They've done um, they've done a great job, and you, you, we get to see them as well. So I think we'd have to work twice as hard if we were going to end up on on, on screen. So uh, congratulations! We're too ugly. To... We're too ugly for screen. Oh, Come on, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So congratulations to to WD18 on a on a magic milestone. Well done, lads. Just say. I'm normally the full head of hair, lads. So I'm more than happy to go on screen. <laughs> but but yeah. in that interview and, and you know hearing what Andrew sort of had to say, Mike, the one thing that stood out for me, and it, 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 it's it's that sort of thing you want to get from when you hear like backstage, behind the scenes sort of interviews, is is almost backing up what we think's going wrong and and how it's going to change. And, and Ben sort of said. What we're moving away from is rather than saying, right, we know we've got five different positions we want to do and to fill. So you talk to different agents and you say, brilliant, this is what we want. Can you go and help and find players? So they're going to do some of the legwork for you. But of course, they're coming back with a lot of their own clients. And he wants to move away and it completely makes sense and doable because he wants us us to have, be on the front foot, so I, we identify the players with you know, Ben, with Helena, with the team they've got around them. They go and identify the players and then they go, hello, we're Watford. Would you like to come and play for us? Rather than having that that middleman. Now, two good things out of that. A certain individual will be around things and deals a lot less. Uh, but also, he may be paying a bit less in terms of agent fees. But that, that does, if, if that, I suppose this is, the, I'm about to say it and I, it, Everything I sort of read in all those articles makes you go, yeah, brilliant, great. As long as Gino does what he's needed and he gives the trust in them. In fact, one of the articles was called Gino needs to learn to trust me. Um, but it, 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 that's a nice sign, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's all the right sounds are coming out. And I think moving away from agent led transfer deals is, is something that all football clubs will no doubt be striving to do because it is a case of the of the tail wagging the dog, isn't it? It should be the, the club should hold whichever the club is, whether it's Watford, Liverpool, um, Doncaster, Wicked, whoever they should have, they should be the ones holding the cards. The player should want to come to play and play for them for all the right reasons. It shouldn't be agents sort of doing the, you know, I know that's their job, but, but clubs don't need to worry about agents. The clubs don't owe the, the agents a, a, a living. So I think that, that, it's absolutely the, the right thing. I think what you want to hear is that they're signing players for the right reasons 
um, and I think there's well publicised. Uh, well, one particular agent uh, who is embedded at, at, at Watford, who uh, who is working on behalf of the club and is working on behalf of his players. So, how much have we in the past have we been beholden to uh, to sign players on on his say so? How much is can he be involved in in transfers if 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 Ben Manger and Helena Costa are, are really going to be taking the reins? And the same goes for Cristiano Giretta. What's the point in having him around? What's the point in having Bayer around? Um, and if 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 Manger and Costa are going to have um, the freedom to do the job that people hope they can do. So on the face of it, what we're hearing is what we'd probably what we'd expect to hear from him. That's that's probably what I'd say if I'd been. Uh, coming in in that role but I, I'm really sorry to sort of start on a, on a vaguely negative note John and Chase but for me there's still so many questions over this I've mentioned them already Gioretta what's his role is he gonna is he still gonna be there well in the interview in the chat that, that, that he had with WD18 Andrew did sort of say not definitively of course but the idea that with Ben uh, he will have a you know the roles he will be taking on, or his team and he will be taking on. The role of Gioretta will change um, to the point where he probably have to leave, and did mention end of contracts. So it, clarification on that is is one hundred percent needed. And I suppose Andrew again wasn't saying definitives, but yeah, it, you know that that sort of role which didn't really have the normal football director or whatever director role that we feel Ben is doing. It, it, it was really not that. Like I said, I've got a question. Coming back to the article you mentioned, John, Ooh. the Gino, was it Gino needs to learn, learn to, trust to trust me, was the headline. That worries me as a headline. Why, why are we getting someone in on the basis that, well, how, however long he's, he's been in now, Manga, so almost half a season. Are, yet, are we saying the owner, we're not sure that the owner trusts him to do a job yet? That, that, that's a big, that's a, that, that's a big, question it's the it's the it's the whole question mark and john you've already raised it because the question mark the question is isn't whether gino can trust ben manga it's can can he trust anyone to to get on with the job they've been been brought in to do now i'd I'd, i'll hold my hands up i don't really know the ins and outs of what ben manga did at eintracht frankfurt i don't know what his role was um, in terms of the day to day, how much power did he have? How much freedom did he have? How much autonomy did he did he have? I just don't know. But what we are acutely aware of here at Watford is that it's Gino Pozzo's party, if you like, and everyone plays by his rules. So is Ben Manga being and Helena Costa, are they gonna be able, are they gonna be freed up? Are they gonna be trusted to use the, the, the phraseology that's been been spoken about already? to do their job are they are they actually able to to make a difference because i would argue that while the the people that we've already mentioned and the situation that that exists at Watford at the moment they would be unable to do it because as jason rightly points out if there's already a question of trust then that's a big red flag there's already other people who we know have fingers in the the pie in terms of of transfer dealings or having an influence what are they doing? They're presumably taking a salary, which is a, a big issue as well. And the whole thing, regardless of what Ben Manga says at the moment, is is confusing. And the, the, the big question is, are the people that have been brought in to do the job allowed to do the job? Do they have the tools to do the job? Are they going to be working in a, an environment that 
uh, allows them to do the job or against the backdrop of something that's going to do the job. Because at the moment, you feel that anyone that comes in, if they have any success, it will be despite the setup, not because of it. And I just question the ability of anyone to rise above the current setup uh, uh, at Watford Football Club in terms of having a real difference in terms of how the club operates and and performs. There are far too many cooks that aren't very good at cooking knocking around at Vicarage Road at the moment. And people need to, I think there's, Giretta probably needs to go for me. I can't, uh, I, I, I couldn't, if someone sort of held me up against the wall and said, oh, you can, I'll give you a million quid if you can list three good things that Cristiano Giretta's done or what he's good at or what he brings to Watford Football Club. I'd be unable to, and you could argue that's down to, you know, I'm not at the training ground, I haven't. But if, he, if he'd have been successful, you'd have thought, it's, right, he's worth hanging on to because we can see what's happened there. He probably needs to go. Uh, Moji Bayat needs to be get his feet from under the table and out of the football club as well. If we're, gonna, if we're moving away from this, this model that we're talking about in terms of uh, being agent-led and being reliant on a particular group of, of people quite aside from the obvious stuff that we know is going on on around him at the moment that's a completely different kettle of fish and potentially more important anyway so he needs to get gone there needs to be clarity there needs to be a streamlined um footballing operations unit and that just isn't there at the moment the whole thing is 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 cloudy and muddy if you had to do an org chart with those guys i don't think anyone would have a clue and that includes probably the people that work there you know where does scott fit into it as well so there are a lot of well-paid cooks knocking around in that kitchen at the moment and the food that is being served up is far from palatable so the the, the jury is 100 percent out on me as to whether this is going to be there's you know there's a lot of people talking about ben this ben that manga this manga that i i'm sorry but i am I'm just not confident that he is the he's the he's the silver bullet here. I'd love to be proved wrong, and he's he comes with a, a good reputation. But Watford and Hintracht Frankfurt, how do they compare? I'd argue you couldn't really compare Watford with anywhere apart from potentially Granada previously and Udinese now. Now I'm not sure, Michael. Uh, if you put yourself down there after talking about the hell storms in the season, <laughs> forty-one uh, and zero, baby, let's go. <laughs> I hope it's getting out of your system, uh, Jason. One thing I want to pick up with you was um, is, is sort of Chris Wilder a little bit. I don't mean particularly like let's have a chat. Do you think he's the right person? However, Wendover Horns did get in touch on Twitter, and he basically wants him after his post-match chat that the, the club put out on on Instagram as audio. You know the. He wants him to be the new manager. Give him a new, get him the job right now, right here, right now. But the, the thing he talked about, and I just want to sort of reflect on it a little bit. He said that during that game against Cardiff, we scored a really good goal, a well-worked goal, where we were a team. And then he said we went individual. Now, that's something we've seen a lot of the season. You know, the fact that they didn't, they weren't playing as a team and, you know, Billich didn't get it and Wilder's getting it to, for, for a period or so. Do you think what, what do you think he means by going individual? Um, I think it's been been there for us all to see for a lot of the season, isn't it? Where you can see these players are not playing as a team; they're playing for themselves. They're trying to be the heroes, trying to win the games on their own. Perhaps thinking about what they're going to be doing next year. We've seen players running up their own backsides a lot of the time instead of playing a simple pass. 
it's all sort of seemingly obvious stuff. When it comes to Wilder and his post-match conferences, I think he's a man who knows he's not going to be there next season. And it's almost like he's trying to do us a favour by pointing out the fact that we've got big problems there. Yes, we've got some good players. No, they're not playing as a team. Yes, there are bigger problems inside the club. Yes, we need a, a culture reset, how, whatever you think that may be. And it, yeah, I, I've been sort of saying to friends, I, I think I, I'm liking the fact that he's he's coming out and making these noises. And you just hope that the people in the club are starting to take notice and starting to listen. I think what's, what's interesting, John, is that I think he articulated what most of us felt as supporters. And Simon Burnton, who writes for The Guardian and Watford Supporter, he's, he's written an article that's... Uh, that's come out this this week about him not renewing his season ticket and talking about very articulately about the sort of apathy that I've tried to describe that that Watford supporters have felt towards this towards this side, um, and you know basically Simon said he's not not renewing his season ticket because he why would he want to sit through what what we've been been watching and and what Chris Wilder was spoke, speaking about in his uh, post Cardiff uh, comments was was exactly that. He, we recognise that the players have been performing miles less than the sum of their parts. And the reason for that is because they haven't been playing as a, as a team. That's why the whole thing collapses so quickly, because they know we know they're not standing shoulder to shoulder. We know they're not in it as a unit. That's why the whole thing, they're like AFC Blamonge, aren't they? They're just absolutely wobbly at the best of times and then just collapsing entirely. I'm getting my culinary sort of things in here but so my um, question and, is this what surely being an individual is something or individual moments mm. is actually a big part of football of course it is but what what he meant is john and i think he was pretty much digging out jao pedro who nine times out of ten you see him in front of the of the of his own penalty box and I can understand why he's doing that because he's he's felt all season like nothing's happened. The ball hasn't been progressing from the from the back to the front. So he's thought, right, bugger this, I'm going to go and get it. But that's not trusting what they've probably been working on in training week in week out. He's going to pick the ball up, and he might beat one man, he might beat two, but then he's got to work. He's got to do that just to get to where he should have been in the first place. And everyone's doing that to a different degree. Everyone is going off script. Everyone is going off piste. No one is sticking to the plan that they've presumably worked on in, in training. And that's why I think he was so damning. And I think what was, what was really, really telling was that Watford put that out. The football club put that out. The, you know, the communications team decided that that was going to be... That wasn't from an internal journalist. That was from Ian Abrahams, the moose, uh, at Talk Sport, wasn't it? It was... It was that was the, his question... And the club or the people working in that department have thought, right, this needs to this needs to go out. So, Jace, you said it might be a message. Chris Wilder might be trying to. Have, well, was it you, John? Well, anyway, one of one yeah, of you yeah, two, Jace. Yeah. Uh, one of you two, <laughs> lovely Jace. If it was good, uh, I'll have it. If it was a bit me, uh, it was definitely me. It was definitely me. <laughs> um, said that it's Chris Wilder doing us a favour, and it felt like the club almost like grabbing that saying yep yeah, they do need to hear this let's amplify this this message because it there was no soft soaping it there was no editing it and it was it got picked up by a lot of people saying it's kind of unheard of for to hear a 
a head coach ripping into his his team like that. He was he was he was scathing. I also thought it was quite interesting. The club not only did they put it out, but you, I thought about this afterwards. Putting it out on social media, all the players, all the young players are on social media, and they're more likely to see it than they are to see it on a radio or anything yeah, else. Yeah, they absolutely. would probably have got more likely to see what the manager was saying. And of course, even though he didn't say it, like you say, there were definitely players who were like Jack Pedro, who's just trying to win the game for, for everybody. So I think, yeah, it was a fascinating move. And I don't know. It is, I, I half watched the game on Saturday. Um, I was at a beer festival and it was on, but um Half yeah. the team were probably there, weren't they, John? Really, by, the, <laughs> by the sounds of things. I mean, I, I think with the, just to finish off the Chris Wilder thing, I think there's definitely a, a an element of self-preservation there for, for Chris Wilder, who will be un, will be certainly will be looking for uh, a new job in the summer. You'd have thought he would he would fancy a challenge. I, I think uh, Wendover Horn asking for him to to come in. I think that's that's unlikely. I mean, he hasn't been able to get a tune out of this this side either, has he? Which is, you know, he's been a downgrade on Bilic in terms of performances and it's arguable how much of that is down to Chris Wilder and how much is down to the players pretty much turning in. So I do think there's a an, an element of, of self-preservation there from, from Chris Wilder as, as well. He's able to sort of speak quite freely without the pressure of well, without any pressure, really, because no one's going to have expected him to do anything from from his next job. They'll say, "Well, what have you learned from?" They won't look at it as a failure, will they? They will. He will be able to to spin this to his to his to his his use. Um, so I think there is an element of that. But I think most supporters. Well, I can speak for myself. I was like, "Thank you for someone with a Watford crest on their on their shirt, on their badge or coat, or whatever it was they're wearing." saying it and recognising it because I'll say it again and this is what frightens me and saddens me so much about what we're experiencing at the moment that Cardiff game at 1-0 up we were purring we'd scored a really good goal and we were within against all odds and ludicrously we were in touch with the playoffs we would have been going into a game against Hull a team with nothing to play for knowing that if we won that and results went our way which I think they probably did we could have been looking at getting into sixth. But around the ground, which was half empty, you know, the official attendance was 17,000. I think Andrew French um, estimated about ten or 11,000. I make that about right. It, the, you know, the gaps were absolutely everywhere. And so we are teetering on the brink of going sub 10,000 with our crowds for the first time. So that's, that's a massive message. But the fact that we were close to the playoffs, despite it all, and there was not a murmur, from the Vicarage Road crowd, not a crackle of anticipation or a right, let's get behind these lads and see if we can kickstart a, a journey into the playoffs like we have seen before, like we have seen clubs do before. Because us as supporters, we knew exactly what was coming because it's been served up week in, week out. On that as well, Mike, I thought the reaction to the reading of the team just before kickoff for that game and the Bristol City game was the quietest I've ever heard and there was hardly yeah. any reaction to the to announcing the players names and yeah. that that I think says a lot as well and, I, and I, I take that back to when we were awful in the 90s and, uh, and when it was really bad at least they were just crap then <laughs> you know they were yeah. but, but at least they were sort of you knew they were going to come off having at least given it a go they just weren't very weren't very good and I think the lack of the lack of belief in this in this side for amongst the supporters, the lack of spark, the lack of anything that they've given us to 
to hold on to. And yes, I think it is important that we always contextualise it. They're trying to operate against the backdrop of a club that is obviously in a in turmoil. Um, it, but it's, I've, I've never I've never known apathy like it. And this is by no means a criticism of of the of the Watford supporter base, uh, of, of obviously of which I am one. That that is absolutely no criticism of, of us as supporters at all. Why would we? be off our feet, singing, busting the gut, trying to get the atmosphere going, when we know full well what is, is going to happen. And I find that really, really sad. We've gone, everyone's gone past anger and frustration and they're apathetic. And I, I, I can't even begin to imagine what the crowd would be like against, against Stoke for the last game of the, of the season. It could well be below 10,000 inside the ground, which two, three years ago would have been, you'd have thought, it would be impossible but that is the speed of the, of the decline and i think the only plus side about that is that, that will cut through with the with gino pozzo he will recognize that right things are going so badly that the attendances have effectively halved people are staying away from this football club it may or may not bother him but at least he'll notice it at least there will have to be some acceptance if it wasn't obvious enough with the with the results and the absolute garbage that's being served up on the pitch more often than not, he will have to accept that things are going south very, very quickly. I always know, and it's a sign of when things are going really badly, when you know the PA system music button is ready to be played the second the final whistle goes. Cause they, cause they, and the thing is, that, you know, they even know how bad it's going to be, that they're ready to bang that music in. Some may say it's embarrassing that they're thinking it, but you know, it's preserving of something or another. That's why they're having to do it. But the question is, did we all preserve our season tickets? Mike's already mentioned there, Simon Burton from The Guardian, you know, his piece today about why he's given up his season ticket. You mentioned it, Mike. Jason, would you ever give up your season ticket or what would, what would have to happen do you think oh, you to give good yours up? Question for for me to give my season. To, I I don't know if I could. Yeah, I not renew. I'm just worried about um, FOMO, fear of missing out. I can understand why those who aren't aren't renewing. I, I've said a lot of times. I think on the podcast now, in, in more recent times, with the the struggles that we've had to, to think of it and remember, this is it is our football club. We the supporters. This is our club. Everyone else is just transient. The, the the players, the coaches, the head coaches or managers, even the owners will, will pass through at some point. Some it will take longer than others to get through. But we as the supporters will always be there. You have to take the, the sort of rough times with the smooth. And so hopefully with the rough times that you have, it, it allows you to enjoy the good times even more. But as I say, I can understand why people aren't. And Mike, obviously, we went to the um, the game at Burko, didn't we? To see the... the the young lads in action in the Hearts County Cup. Yeah. And for me, I can quite easily jump on a train, get off at Burko, walk to the game, have a beer, watch some good football. And and that sort of, I was sort of thinking about that whilst I was there. That's, that, that feels quite nice. And, you know, just, yeah. it feels a lot less pressure on that as well. And I know a lot of people sort of have taken an interest in, in sort of local non-league football. And, and there's more of a community feel to that as well. And again, where... People are talking about losing that connection with the club, with the players, and they don't feel that anymore. That then the opportunity to go and watch some sort of decent local non-league football with more of that community feel to it, I, you can see the attraction, can't you? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I go to, as you know, I go to Cheshire United. So for me, I can walk 
walk around the corner and everything that you just described there, Jace. You see the familiar faces, you see uh, players that you know are, are busting a gut. Most of them are, are doing long round trips to come to training after after their day job. And then they're, you know, Cheshire play away at Truro and they're having to give up. And, you know, they're having to give stuff up, making sacrifices to play for the team and you feel like that you do get that togetherness and it's why we did I did speak a little bit at length about Hemel Storm at the start and the and the community feel that that has the togetherness the the willingness of everyone to, to push in the right direction you do need to get some nourishment out of your sports supporting I think and when that starts to be on the wane you have to I think you're entitled to look at it I think there's a lot there's sort loads, of Mike lots... but you do but you and with Hemel, it, 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 you put the effort in mm. to do yes. that and to get something from it. You know, it isn't just simply, you know, I'm turning up, I'm waiting to be entertained, I have been, I'm happy. Absolutely. But, you know, there are less players at it. It is a different setup to the football club. Um, someone did send us an email about it, how he prefers taking his son to Hemelstorm than, than to Watford matches. You know, yeah, and the, it, fact, the fact they keep winning every week probably helps. It really well. does help quite considerably, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Um, but it is, it is a whole different sort of sort of setup. Of but it's just it that is. connection. And I, one thing I noticed, watch because I watched the Hemelstorm game uh, on YouTube, and of course the commentators there are calling all the players by their surnames. But actually, at Hemelstorm, all the, all the announcing that goes on, he, the you know, announcer always calls them by their first names. So I yeah. actually got to know them really, really. But I really stupidly personally, much, much quicker. And it is something that we talked when we spoke to Marvin Sordell, he talked about how, you know, calling people by their surnames is a way of sort of distancing yourself or you can be critical of a surname. You can't necessarily yeah. be critical of, of someone's first name. Um, but it's, yeah, it is fascinating sort of to to feel that. But would you, Mike, I, ever give it your season tickets? Did you, could, you, could you relate to anything that Simon wrote? I could, I could give it up. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to a lot to think about um, when it when it comes to that that piece. It's a great piece, articulate as you'd expect from Simon, who is a brilliant, brilliant writer and someone who who passionately supports supports Watford Football Club. If you don't go, you're still a fan. I think that's the most important thing to to say. You could, for there's a whole host of reasons you might not be able to attend or willing um, to, to attend and that's a personal choice it doesn't make you you never stop supporting your team I think is, a, is, a, is an important distinction I think for us as well we're exceptionally lucky in terms of what our Watford supporting existence is I mean you could say lucky we've put the effort in to create the podcast over the years and we've we've stuck at it and we've done it potentially when we haven't felt like it and we've worked hard at it and given time yada 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 blowing smoke up my own backside here but you get the point but we go as a big group and between us there are young families and uh, parents and grandparents and that that go and there is a wider very very close-knit community that we have and that we get extra enjoyment out of it, that we don't really need the results to be going our way for us to get that nourishment that I was talking about, get that enrichment from the from the existence of the, the club. So we are in a sort of... And, and a lot of people will, will have the same thing. The, going to the game is about who they go with, seeing their cousin, seeing their mate, seeing their whatever, just getting a bit of a headspace away from the, the daily grind. And, and you can you can still get that. Whatever. So, but I, I do think we're we're lucky. So we we have a, a different look at a uh, different look at it. But I I think there must come a time where if you feel 
strongly about the way the club you love, going back to you never stop being a fan, if you feel strongly about it being run badly, which a lot of people quite rightly do at the moment, looking at looking at the top, then what other option do you have than to take the difficult um, decision, than to remove yourself from the equation, to remove your sort of tangible support from the from the operation, to say, I'm not going to be a part of the degradation of something that I love. I'm not going to be complicit in it by turning up week in, week out. Um, so, yeah, I think there absolutely is a, a time where I would would stop going. And I think that, that, that that's probably healthy to to think of it like that. I mean, it, it, what it would take, I don't know. I'm like Jason. It is so ingrained into my life, not just like daily routine, really. And, and like I say, that the sheer number of, of family members and friends um, and colleagues that 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 are part of it it's not just 90 minutes on a, on a saturday or tuesday it's it is part of my life so it would have to when that moment would come i don't know but i i definitely would and i think i i am expecting to see a, a sort of a drop off a fairly significant drop off in in season ticket in season ticket sales for exactly that reason but it also chimes with with what jason says cuz Part of me thinks, as a fan base, are we are we being too defeatist? We're just sort of like, as I say, we've gone from anger and frustration, we've gone past that and straight to apathy. That's quite an indictment of the of the situation. Is it an indictment of us as fans? I personally don't think it is, but I think there is an element of when the tough gets when the tough going gets tough, the 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 the, the tough have got to get going, and um, it, it's a complicated one because everyone has a different relationship with with watching sport watching football and what they want out of it some people will turn up at 2:59 watch the game and go straight home and not think about it some people will be in the bunker at half 12 some people have a 500 mile round journey some people have to get up in LA to watch it on a stream so it's a very complicated emotional emotive relationship that we all have with the with the football club but i think what we all have in common is that we want the very very best for it but we've also got to want the best for ourselves as well and if it's not delivering that pleasure that enjoyment that enrichment then you have to ask yourself what ultimately what is the point and so simon sort of says they need some time apart which um, in the movies, it goes one of two ways, doesn't it? They have some time apart and they get back together and live happily ever after. Or they have some time apart and they drift further apart and further apart and they meet someone else and um, it's an irrevocable difference or an unconscious un- uncoupling if you're uh, Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, I've just got a vision there of Simon Burton running down Vicarage Road in the pouring rain saying, I'm back! I'm yeah. back for you, Watford! We were on a break. <laughs> Let me back in. We were on a break. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. As we've been talking about, or we've been building up to over the last few weeks, uh, a new episode of Hornet Heaven. In fact, it's one new episode this week. There's going to be one every single week for the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's a four-parter, uh, and it's all about the fact that it's been 125 years this year that Watford have been called Watford. We were four, of course, there were many local clubs, but a certain merger happened between Watford St Mary's and West Hearts. Well... They are called West Hearts, and they, they were called West Hearts. There was a moment, though, when you listened to this podcast that uh, Ollie's written and Collins uh, read, um, where the supporter, the St Mary's supporter that you, you find out about, he always calls them wet farts. 
And I've definitely got a childish side to me, and, and I, I giggled every single time. The podcast's out now. Do get it from hornetheaven.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, part one of four. Uh, but this little clip about when Bill Mainwood, the, well, the main characters of Hornet Heaven, got to meet this St. Mary's fan. Hello? Golden Bennett. Hello? Only I'm not Gordon Bennett. <laughs> My name's Bill Mainwood. Golden Bennett. No, as I say, I'm... You're the first person I've seen in more than a century. Hello, Bill Mainwood. My name's Turner. Welcome to St Mary's Sanctuary. The afterlife paradise for supporters of Watford St Mary's Football Club. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. I don't suppose you're a Watford St Mary supporter yourself, Bill, by any chance, are you? Uh, no. Shame. Now then, there's two problems for you to fix, Bill. First, no one else has joined me up here. And second, I haven't been able to see any new games since 1898. <laughs> can you believe it? I haven't a clue what's happened since then. So, do you think you can sort the problem out, Bill? Oh, yes, Turner. I can sort this out. No problem at all. Okay, let's take some questions and stuff we got via Twitter today. It's a bit of fun, a bit of lightheartedness. We're actually going to ask you one question. This is going to—you've got a week. I'm going to give you till next week's podcast to come up with an answer to this one. Very simple. What one thing? What well, one thing redeeming from this season? It came from Jamie Parkins. Uh, what would it be? He says, "Sound of a barrel being scraped," but that might be one of the awards we have to give out next week. We're going to have some. They're going to be ridiculous awards. But so you know. You know, Bio's got to get an award somehow or another. You know, just just something ridiculous to get out of this ridiculous season. But that's next. So have a think. What's the most redeeming I've, feature? I've got an answer. Or I've got an we answer. We can't say Luton at home, Mike, No, you can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, who are currently losing, by the way. Just sort of chuck that in there. We're oh, currently 1-0 up. Mm. Um, Mike, Mike said it at the start of the podcast, I think. The, the fact that it finishes in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt Ballantyne, he wants to know where we're going on our holidays. I'm going to France, Mike. I haven't decided yet. I haven't decided yet. Somewhere hot, hopefully, because I don't know about you lot. This winter seems to have gone on forever. And I don't know whether how, how much that is down to Watford sort of Watford Football Club sort of bringing a sort of overall sort of Glumness. climate of yeah. misery that that yeah envelops us. But no, I'm not. I'm not sure yet. But I'm gonna, I'll wait to find out where Watford are going on pre-season tour and make sure it's nowhere near there. <laughs> Jason, we where are you we um. We're probably going to end up in Weymouth like we do most summers because uh, they've got a small child who loved it down there. Who, coincidentally, their local football team are about to get relegated out of the uh, National South. So there will be a similar football malaise going on down there. So I'll feel at home. <laughs> I've got one question here, which I think would start Michael another rant. I'm going to leave it. I think we've had enough. No, come, on, let, come on, let's do it. No, I'll, no, I'll no. how about this one? Who has been the most underrated or unsung hero player for the last few years, which recent players have the hosts, that's us, I guess, had the biggest difference of opinion on? Well, the first one, I always think about the most unsung heroes. I always go back to Craig Cathcart. Yep. Or maybe it's just that thing where only certain people look at it and, and understand what he does and love what he does, even though he is just what he is and he has been for such a long time now. This year really felt like 
Dan Gosling was a massive unsigned hero. When he came in and he started playing, he was making impact. Unfortunately, he got injured and uh, the season was over. Who else, Mike? Who for you? I think, I mean, I think you've said Craig Cathcart and, well, I know you've said Craig Cathcart because <laughs> I just heard you, but I, I think it, it, that bears a little bit more support because Craig Cathcart as a signing, pound for pound, I've said it before, but it has to be one of Watford's best signings in terms of his longevity, what he's delivered, the, the, the teams he's played in, the levels he's played at for Watford, what he's seen, what he's helped deliver. He very, very rarely has let Watford down in, in that time. And I think he's one of those players that effectively people have just got bored with and therefore decided they want someone someone new. But I think Craig Cathcart over the years has been been absolutely sensational. One of the few people who you could you could rely on. And he's not noisy, he's not loud, he's not demonstrative on the on the on the pitch, so he doesn't catch the eye. But for me as a as a centre back, that's that's pretty good. But in terms of an unsung hero uh, this season, I, I I can't find one. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? The, the question was over the last few seasons, wasn't it? And I I think certainly a bit of this season, and certainly the the couple of seasons ago, I'd have said Ken Semmer because yeah, he fair. he's probably leading or or up near the top in terms of assists, and he doesn't get as much game time as our other as we call them so called attacking talent. Yeah, he does seem to make things happen, and we just love the way. Well, certainly I do love the way he rolls past defenders to get past them. It's, it's, it, it seems a bit harsh and it's not skill, but it's almost like brute force just to get past them. But he does it and it's effective and he, he, he gets the ball into good positions, opportunities for strikers to score and his assist count is probably uh, the best we've got over the last few seasons, I'd say. I like to say that you almost he's the answer also to the second half of the the question there, Mike from Alistair. Um, but it's just with yourself. Uh, which recent player have have you had the biggest differences opinion on? I think your opinion of Ken changed quite a lot from what was a limited, let's say, player when we were in that promotion season under Cisco. Um, but actually now you you see what it is and you see what he can do and you're happy with what he can do and you're happy with what he can bring. I always find it weird that I we, we when we talk about like. What can we do to change things and improve things? How much we have, how little we talked about Ken um, in terms of what he can do and bring to the yeah. club um, this season. Those few occasions where he's been injured and yeah, you just don't talk about him the right way. I think that 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 for me makes him definitely the the, the unsung hero type category. What's telling about that is that we haven't got enough Kens. We haven't got enough Kenneth Semmers in our team, and he is probably a championship. A good championship footballer, you know, for the reasons Jason just described there. He's he's better than he looks. He when he takes on a play, you think, well, he's not going to get past him, is he? He's in the his body shape's all wrong. He's too he's too um, face on, too square on. But somehow he he does his move and uh, and away he goes. And compare the sort of the effort is the wrong word, but the the diligence with which he goes about his work with the player who I think has split us most in terms of. Um, in terms of our opinion of him, and that's Ismail Assar. I think a lot that we we it's I've I'm very emotional with my with my take on it. My my tactical awareness is is nowhere near as astute as as yours, Jason or or, or Dave's. And I, I find myself getting really frustrated with with Isma sometimes because you just think, well, you've got that electric pace, push the ball past him and go. Go past it, and when you see Ken Semmer able to do it, who I think Ken Semmer himself would agree that he probably hasn't got as much natural talent as as Ismail Assar, or or obviously the electric pace. 
but you compare the two in terms of take-ons and what they what they seem to be able to willing seem to be able or willing to do when they when they take to the field for Watford, certainly in the last sort of year or so. And it, it just seems to be very stark. So I think you're right, John. Ken, for the unsung hero, but I don't know what you guys think about whether Saar is the one that splits our, our, our opinion. I feel sorry for him because I think he's, he's had to play against the backdrop of absolute tumult with the, the head coach turnover. The, the, the word is that Harry didn't really want a player like that in the first place. There's been relegation, promotion, relegation. There's been COVID, which will have been problematic and, and for, for, for someone like that, of course. And so I don't know what you guys think, whether he is the one that, that splits it. That I, splits don't, us. I don't think we necessarily have a, a split of opinion on him. I think, as with all the players, at times... We have are very positive towards them. At times, we're not positive towards them. You know, if you look over the fourth seasons or so we've had Ishmael here, we have changed massively from one time to another. We, ne- we we're basically what I'm trying to say is we never get a fixed opinion on a player, and you know we're never sort of definitive on it. And it's like no, we will never budge from him being a great player, apart from Craig Cathcart because he's great. Um, the one question about this is the question again. I, this is actually for next week also. Have a think about this one, Mike. Don't don't have to go with it yet. If we just look at the league table and ignored everything else in and around the club, is a mid-table finish in the championship really that bad? That's your first bit of homework for next week, Mike. Yeah, well, um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what. Can, can, I, I, I was going to say, I can, I'm happy to, to dive in now on that one. No, leave it for now. Um, I, I reckon, I, what I will say, though, is I reckon we'd take a, we'd take a mid-table championship uh, finish next season. That's my little <laughs> prediction. That just gives you an indication yeah. as to how I'm feeling about next season. Uh, one from, uh, that was from uh, Chris Howe. Um, Billy Boyd, uh, he sort of said, Jason, his question was about but Adrian Blake. Now, I know we haven't seen a massive amount of, of the youth football, but he's been banging some goals in the last couple of weeks. We are at the end of the season, the classic time when there is nothing to play for, where these young boys get some some airtime, uh, and we've seen some great stuff from uh, Ryan Andrews. But is it, you know, why is he not getting on the bench? He he went up apparently to uh, Hull, but he did he wasn't on the bench. He isn't even getting some time. Surely it's time, yeah, not necessarily just just Adrian, but just to get a few more because we're probably going to have to need them next year. A few more young players on the pitch, Jace. Yeah, I think only Chris Wilder can answer the question, why wasn't he on the bench? But um, in terms of getting the players out there, it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. So it's a difficult decision. I was going to sit on the fence again. But yes, you absolutely want to give them the opportunity and you hope that maybe a couple of others will get a chance before the end of the, uh, the season. The worry for me, though, is the toxicity of the situation. Bringing a young lad into a side in an atmosphere that's that's not great I'd, I'd want to make sure I'd be confident that they'd be able to cope with that because at the end of at the end of the game when players are getting booed off the pitch, you're not they're not going they're going boo but not you Ryan Andrews boo like that it's just <laughs> it's just boos isn't it off, yeah. and it and and you don't know how that will affect the, the sort of what state their minds in and how that will affect them and if they make a mistake during the game is that are the whole crowd gonna sort of give them a bit of leeway? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Uh, but, but you, they, you might, John. But will the other nineteen thousand, twelve thousand, depending on on, uh, on what the numbers are, will the uh, the rest of the, uh, the the crowd all give them that leeway? And uh, I think we Watford fans they don't talk about. Neil Warnock said that before, hasn't he? About us, he says that 
the, the, the fans of Vicarage Road know their football. They're an intelligent bunch. And you'd think that, yeah, that we would give them a bit of leeway. But in the heat of the moment, you just worry how that will affect them just in terms of when, when things have been so difficult on the pitch. OK, one last question. Came from Steve Morris. What is the best away shirt we have ever had? I'm going to go, Michael, with anyone that's red and black striped. But I do prefer the Burda kit rather than the one, the CTX one from uh, the late 90s. I prefer the Burda one just because it was a much better cut. Uh, if you look at way football kits were designed in the 1990s, they were all a bit too big, a bit too baggy. But the one that we had in Burda, what, what 2010 or so, maybe when we first started the podcast, actually, um, that red and black away shirt, that is my favourite one. You, what about you? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there, John. The red and black with the white shorts as well. It has to go oh, with the white shorts, oh. that sort of classic <laughs> AC Milan look. Um, I, I I did like that that bird one, and and again it, it's you sort of remember that with the team that we had at the time, and and a team that was better than uh, the the sum of its parts in in a difficult backdrop, and you had that connection with the team, and I think that helps as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the red and black with the white shorts that's that's a winner for me. Winner, winner, chicken dinner from Jason and me. Mike, are you going to be different with the best away, sh- away kit ever? Best away, uh, best away kit ever? Yeah. White, white with the, the white Solvite or white oh, You said that last week, but that was because it was your first kit, was it? Yeah, I mean, really for me, that? yeah, I just love it. I just love the sort of clean um, clarity of it. I think, it, yeah, it's for me that sort of... Yeah, I absolutely adore it. I've, I've in, the, in the recent times, the, in the last sort of couple of months, I've been looking out there and thinking, oh, those two sets of kits look quite nice together. The yellow and the and the blue of Cardiff go quite nicely together. That's the sort of things I've been thinking about. The football's been so mundane. So I think white against red or white against whatever is. Yeah, I'm going to go with. Um, I'm going to go with white. Just to go back to very very quickly on Adrian Blake. I think that I yeah. wonder whether. I just wonder whether there's a few complications about him moving on because I think he's very, very highly rated. I think there seems to be rumblings or concerns that he's going to be snaffled by by someone else. And just to hearing Jason say about protecting him, whether they're saying, look, we're not going to throw you in now. We're actually going to build you up and, and you're going to play a part next year. Don't worry about just have a look. You get, come on the coach with us. Come, come away with us. Try and understand what it's like to be part of the first team on a match day because that's going to be you next year whether they're pitching that without throwing him in there to, to face the sort of brick bats that are cascading down from the stands at, at the moment but I do wonder whether we're going to be actually going to be able to to hold on to him but I, uh, I dearly hope we'll be able to see him resplendent in a beautiful white away shirt next season <laughs> one more from Steve final one one word one man's name which striker was a bigger disappointment than Trevor Senior Mike, what this season? Any time, any time. Well, Trevor Senior, what ninety eight? No, ninety eighty eight. Since then, have you? Is there one more disappointing than Trevor Senior? Ellington. The money we spent on him felt at that time felt like you know. Oh, look, look, wow, look at this! And and he had he'd done well previously. Obviously, he did well at Wigan in that partnership with uh, Roberts, and you just thought. Yeah, well, we, we, we're investing in a talented striker here and, and added to the players that we already had up front. You thought we could, we could wreak havoc with this man. 
I'm just surprised you didn't say Obi or Alara. Obi Alari. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we know, just, I thought that'd be obvious, but anyway. <laughs> we know why he uh, we know why he arrived, unfortunately. But yeah. I think going back a little bit before... By the way, um, just so if you don't know why he arrived, Michael, why? Well, um, there's, there's a particular man at Watford that a lot of people talk about. I think he may, he may have been uh, involved with him. So uh, yes. if we can we can probably can join up the join up the dots there. But um, going back before Nathan Ellington, Jamie Morley actually arrived for decent money at a time where we didn't have much of it. I think we paid four hundred and fifty thousand for him from Millwall, mm. where he'd scored a lot of goals at, at, at Championship level or League One or what Division One or whatever it was at at that stage, and he. He ploughed a sort of rather forlorn furrow, didn't he, up, up front? He he never did it, and it felt like he was. We spent a chunk of money on him at a time we didn't we didn't really have it. So he was sort of an early contender for me for us spending money on someone that didn't uh, didn't do it. But to fast forward to to this season as well, he's by no means the the, the worst striker we've ever 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 had, or the most disappointing. But I'm really disappointed that Keenan Davis hasn't hasn't kicked on this season. I thought that was a really, really solid signing. Cameron Archer has scored for Middlesbrough tonight away at, away at our friends up the M1. He's he's done really, really well since signing for Middlesbrough. I do wonder whether um, our relationship with Villa soured over the Ishmael Assar deal and then the, uh, the, the the issues with, with Courtney Howes, so whether that sort of put the kibosh on us getting Cameron Archer. I mean, Ray Manayan and, and Bio. I don't think they can be disappointing because no one had any had any expectations for those two at all. Manai in particular was just a a, a laughable signing, and the the sooner the chapter is is not just closed but entirely the pages ripped out of the the book entirely. That would be um, that would be preferable. But I think um, Enrique Araujo as well. We we you know we spoke to to guys who know Portuguese football, and they were very very effusive about him coming in as a striker. And I think he's obviously a, a player. I think he will go on to have a, a good career. But the reason he's been disappointing, I think, is that Watford have been summarily unable to play any sort of striker into any sort of form. He's a, he's a player that needs the ball um, to his feet. We need to get him the ball in the area with a bit of space so he can at least get a shot off. I can't remember really him having more than two or three shots in his in his Watford career for, and for someone that's as highly rated people point to the the buyout clause which I think is 100 million or whatever as as his market value it's obviously not that I think that, that 100 million is the standard sort of buyout fee for players that that, that that clubs have high hopes for as a just sort of steer clear type type thing so I don't think anyone's saying he's worth 100 million but it, he just hasn't had a had a look in and I think that's as much a, a disappointment of, of of Watford and their season and their inability to to play to his strengths or to to see any sort of flicker of excitement from him at all, um, it's a is a pretty damning indictment on the season. We want to have fun on the last few questions, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Soza again, um, Obi Alari, I think was by far the worst one ever. Thank you very much, Michael. You're more than welcome. Cheers. Uh, thank you, Jason. Thank you. And we're back, of course, with the final podcast of the season. Uh, we want your silly awards. Um, there's no, you know, they, they, we can't have a serious conversation about player of the season. It's impossible. Um, what awards could you find yourself uh, awarding f- at 
as, as Jamie said, scraping the barrel. What are the scraping the barrel awards for the 2022-2023 season? That's the name of next week's podcast. And, before uh, we, we go, oh, yeah. before we go, just a massive well done to the supporters who did go up to to Hull at the weekend. We haven't given the game the dignity of, of discussing it. None of us were there. I can't remember a game that I've been less interested in um, in my Watford supporting um, life, to be to be perfectly honest. I, I didn't go absolute props to, to all the fans that did. They looked like a decent chunk that, that went up, up there to, to cheer the boys on. So so well done for doing that and, and flying the flag for, for us representing the, 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 the supporters up there. The game sounded like the most on-the-beach affair ever. And of course, it was going to be Ozan Tufan who uh, who struck the, the winning goal. Although Hull, Hull sort of fans saying, oh, oh, oh you're, not so, you're not laughing now, are you? You said he was terrible. It's like, oh, yeah. If we'd have kept on to kept Ozan Tufan and we'd had him instead of you, we could be what sixteenth like you are. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, sort of scrape, talking about scraping the barrel. That as, as banter from the Hull fans was was pretty tame. But a massive, massive hat tip to the to the the travelling horns who went up to to Hull, and likewise those that going up to Sunderland. I'll be honest, I was going to go. We're going to make a weekend of it. Uh, I've decided to to not do that, save the money, and to to put it towards that uh, as yet determined summer holiday. So I've I've bailed on Sunday. And I was going to do it, but I'm not. But credit to to those. I'm sure there'll be a great number that that do go. Absolute fair play. We probably should also say thank. Also thank. Say well done to the uh, to the fans that went up to the Pirelli Stadium as well. Yes, on Sunday indeed. To watch the ladies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they came very very close. Uh, they went to extra time. Um, in their in their cup final, they're, they're enjoying a really really good season, restoring some pride to to the Watford badge. Currently second um, in their in their division, they've got a massive game against Oxford this week at the Vicarage Road. So if people can get there to to that, then then definitely do. It's Oxford a first, Watford a second. I think Oxford have got a game in hand, so uh, it's a, it's a massive game for the, for the Golden Girls. But yeah, well done to all the fans that that, that were able to go there. I was in Manchester for the Hemel game, so so couldn't make it. The Golden Girls came up just short, lost an extra time, three two to Forest, who are top in their division. So absolutely, absolutely no disgrace there. They're having a they're having a great season. So well done, um, uh, well done to Watford uh, FC women. I just realised that we've still got two podcasts to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking penultimate. As we're wishing away this season, um, but of course we've got one after the next weekend. Two more weekends, two more podcasts. Uh, but thank you so much for uh, for uh, listening. Uh, do tell your friends, as I've always said, uh, and do follow us at What the Podcast on your social media. Come on, you all!